Sliding Doors. If you haven't seen Gwyneth Paltrow's 1998 rom-com, you've almost certainly heard people reference it. That strange and often chilling idea that if you'd done one thing differently, your whole life could have been set off on an entirely different track. In this particular film, a London 20-something working in PR has a date with Destiny, one she might have missed if she hadn't taken a particular district line train. It's a film about romance in the city, but most of all, it's about fate. With two million of us taking the tube in London each day, what, or more importantly, who, might you have crossed paths with had you raced a little more quickly up that escalator? I guess the whole point is, we'll probably never know. All we do know is what happened on the particular tube we did take on any given day. And it turns out Paltrow's character isn't the only one for whom the district line changed the course of her life forever. I met Rachel on a Friday night on the district line. I had five stops to talk to her. And five days later, I was in love. I'm your host, Katie Strick. And this is London Love Stories from the Evening Standard. So I slightly stalked him a little bit. And I said to mum, I just think I met the woman I'm going to marry. I think people thought we were crazy. It just felt so right. Meet Rachel and Aaron. My name's Aaron Hesselhurst. I'm 55 years old and I'm a news anchor for BBC News. And I'm Rachel Hesselhurst. I'm 46, so quite a lot younger. And um, I'm a lawyer <laughs> for a data centre company. It's Friday the 25th of April, 2003. Tony Blair is Prime Minister. And the choice is very, very clear. The congestion charge has only just been introduced to London. And Madonna has just dropped her American Life album. For most of us in the capital back then, this particular Friday was probably just like any other. But for Rachel and Aaron, it was to be a day that changed the entire course of their lives. First, some context. At this point, Aaron is a 35-year-old Australian who's just moved to London and recently started working as a journalist for the BBC. On this particular Friday night, he finds himself on a work night out to the dog racing in Wimbledon with former colleague Declan Curry and some friends. So far, so standard. The idea where we're going to catch a, a few minicabs down to, to Wimbledon. And um, he comes in and he goes, oh my gosh, he said the traffic is horrendous on Wood Lane. It's bucketing down. We're going to have to catch the tube. And I hadn't been in London that long and wasn't a huge fan of the tube. And I was like, oh no. So I put up a bit of a joke like, oh no, come on, we can do it on the, in the minicabs. And he's like, nope, nope, we're going to get the tube. So off we went. Aaron and his colleague board the tube at Wood Lane and change to the district line at Notting Hill. At the same time, a 26-year-old junior lawyer, Rachel, finds herself waiting at the same stop. Notting Hill Gate, I don't know if you know, but there's the recesses into the wall of the brick, like lovely arches, so I was sort of perching one of those. And it, was, it wasn't the best weather, and I saw Aaron walk past, and I thought he was really hot. He, had, he looked a little bit different, because he had longer sideburns, but he looked a little bit like Robbie Williams at that particular time. And I was like, oh. So the, the tube pulled in, and he'd walked past me, looked at the carriage that I was going to walk onto directly opposite me, and I looked around, and I was just, yeah. It's like, oh, this looks really boring. So I trotted down as quickly as I could with my heels on and got on the tube carriage that, I, that I'd seen Aaron get on because I thought I may as well look at something nice on my way home. So I slightly stalked him a little bit. So then I'm standing in the, you know, in the, the centre part of, of the tube and... That's when I had seen Rachel. Rachel managed to, I don't know how you managed to get a seat, Rachel, but Rachel managed to get a seat right on the, the end, if you will. 
And so I'm standing there and I'm talking to, to my friend and, and that's when, I, as I said, I noticed Rachel and so I, I looked down and sort of smiled and looked back and I'm chatting away and then looking back and forth and I, I think it's fair to say there was a little bit of eye flirting was, going yeah, on. Yeah, there was 100% eye flirting. I, I can remember very, very clearly thinking in my head that I didn't want to look like a crazy person, but I did want to look approachable. So I was trying to work out how I fixed my face and it didn't look too much of like an over smile but I looked like somebody that looked pleasant enough to talk to. So I was thinking about this in my head. Then, by the, the luck of the gods, uh, a seat became available directly opposite Rachel. And then I'm like, oh, I'm taking this seat. Yeah, so then I'm sitting directly across Rachel, but I'm still, my friend's standing next to me, so I'm still sort of looking up to my right, talking to him, but then looking across straight in front of me at Rachel, back and forth, back and forth. And then, and then I just thought, oh, to heck with it, you know. If the, the the glance locks for more than a second, I'm going to have to open my mouth. You might recognise a lot of this yourself at this point. The eye flirting with a stranger, the hopes that they're single too, the electric glances wondering whether you should say something. What on earth do you say to a total stranger in a packed tube carriage? Okay, now I admit, after all these years, 20 years on, wasn't the great to start opening line, but um, I asked Rachel, <laughs> I just looked at her and I said, hi, are you German? <laughs> no, it wasn't great because I thought, oh, pretty but dumb. But he's not dumb, obviously. But that was, I was like, oh, gosh, OK. OK, so maybe it wasn't the ideal start. But at least he said something. And I only said that. Now, everybody says, why? Because I'd lived in, um, in Copenhagen for the previous two years to that. Um, and she just looked, and I know Copenhagen, obviously, is Denmark, not Germany. But she just looked Germanic. She had the cheekbones and the blonde hair and the structural, the structure of her face. So, you know, it wasn't that weird, I don't think. Unfortunately for Aaron, Rachel was willing to overlook the opening chat-up line. I took a business card out of my wallet and then just slipped it into my coat pocket so it was freely accessible uh, and quickly uh, accessible. Um, so we're, we're chatting away and then I, of course, invited Rachel to the exciting dogs. She declined and then I just said, when we had to get off, I, I handed her my card and, and said, oh, I'd love to have a a coffee or a drink and, you know, continue our chat. And that was it, and then I got off. But you know what? Rachel gave me nothing of hers. I had nothing of hers. It all sounds pretty rom-com worthy at this point. But how much can you really gauge about a stranger in five tube stops? Well, I guess it was enough that Aaron, a happy singleton at this point, was confident enough to tell his mum about it the following day. And I said to mum, absolutely truthful, I said, I just think I met the woman... I'm going to marry. Rachel was also pretty sure there was something between them, but she still knew how to play the dating game. So I had my own cut-off of, um, it was midday on Monday, so I made sure that I hadn't done anything or made any contact before the midday on Monday. I had to spend that whole weekend thinking about Rachel and thinking, when is she going to, re- is she, well, is she? I mean, not is when, but if. It wasn't until Monday, three long days after their five-stop tube encounter, that an email landed in Aaron's inbox. So yeah, I tried to keep it short. So I'm actually really still very proud of that email. So it said um, district line conversation continued was the subject. And then I put a few dots. So it's dot, 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 dot. And then in the main body of the email was just how were the dogs question mark. And I just thought, okay, that sounds pretty cool. So I'll send it. And then it what felt like five minutes later, but it must have been about half an hour, maybe an hour. 
was this huge email ping back from Aaron. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh my goodness, it was so it was so exciting. I can visualize my screen. I can visualize, you know, when you have emails and they're just a massive text. I can remember it. I can still visualize the massive text. And I was pretty impressed that you put so much effort in actually. Let's go to the ads. After the break, an unlikely first date, a semi-proposal, and why Aaron and Rachel feel lucky in some aspects of their relationship, but less so in others. Like most great love stories, there are some elements that are a little more romantic than others. Hi, are you German? Rachel and Aaron's meet-cute might have been something straight out of Hollywood, but their first date was slightly more relatable to those of us used to the realities of fitting and dating around a busy job. They arranged to meet on the Wednesday, five days after their five stops on the district line. See where this is going? Aaron had been working at the Stock Exchange super early, near to Liverpool Street, and I was working at um, Bishopsgate, so near to Liverpool Street Station. And I... And again, because I was really junior, I had very, very limited sort of lunch hour times. It wasn't even an hour. So the only place that worked was Pizza Express on, on Bishopsgate. So we went there. And then Aaron didn't eat because he was go- he was in his swimming regime years then. He used to go swimming virtually every day. And he didn't want to eat before he went swimming. So we went, so we had lunch and I was just eating because I was starving. And Aaron, I think he had a coffee or something, maybe a, maybe a tomato. Once we started meeting, and it's just like tick, 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 tick. This is just amazing. She is not only the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, but she's incredibly intelligent and warm and kind and all of those wonderful accolades that you would want in a person. I kept forgetting that he was new in my life. I felt as though he'd always been there, and I do think there's something to do with sort of having... And and again, this is not even something that I particularly believe in or sort of is part of my um, belief system. But I felt as though I had known Aaron in some way, shape or form previously. And it's it sounds really weird to come out of my mouth because I'm sort of quite analytical and logical and I'm not really that way inclined. But it did feel very, very, very strange at the beginning. Clearly, there was something in the dough balls, or for Rachel anyway. Within a week, both she and Aaron insist they'd fallen in love. And just five weeks after meeting on the tube, They'd moved in, renting a flat together in Knightsbridge. See, told you this whole five thing was becoming a bit of a pattern. Like, these things just felt so organic. It wasn't like a big deal. It wasn't, there was no build-up to it. So I don't really remember the significance of any of those events. They just happened. I remember there was a few people that I told at work, and I think, (laughs) I remember walking in, and I think all the PAs were looking at me as though, like, is she pregnant? Like, why is she doing this? I think people thought we were crazy. I... It just felt so right. It didn't really, it didn't really bother me. I, I wear my heart on my sleeve, so everybody around me knew, knew that Aaron had met this, this lovely girl on the tube and was, you know, besotted and that we were seeing each other. And then the move, yeah, I think, yeah, some of them would have been laughing like, oh my gosh, you, it's five weeks, you're moving in? Like, yep, no beating around the bush here. Rachel and Aaron's story might have been more like lust at first sight than love. But a common theme throughout their story is that they just knew things were right. And less than a year after they first met, they knew again. It, <laughs> it wasn't even a pro- it wasn't even a proposal. We kind of went we skipped straight over any engagement. I used to go home to Sydney uh, pretty much every February, um, so we were going. I was going anyway. So we'd said to Rachel and I said to Rachel, oh, "You must come." You know, it was just like, "Oh, screw it, let's just get married in Australia." 
Rachel and Aaron tied the knot on a boat in Sydney Harbour on the 14th of February 2004, just 10 months after meeting on the district line, and fittingly on Valentine's Day. Though they insist that part was more of an accident. We've got a lot of love, but we're not, we're not that corny. Um, no, it, it happened to be, as Rachel said, it was a Saturday, and it was the Saturday that we could secure the boat, so it was an absolute coincidence that it was on that day. But I kind of like it now, though. I, I, yeah, it's, to me, it's, it's, again, it's being an old romantic, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's lovely. It was so quick. So we had most of Aaron's friends, and then it was just so late notice for my family that when we came back to the UK, we had a little celebration. So that was very lovely. It's been almost two decades since that balmy February day in Sydney Harbour. And thankfully, that gut instinct they both had was correct. Aaron still works for the BBC as a news anchor. Rachel works as a lawyer for a data company. And they now live in leafy North London with their two cats, Hank and Margot. (laughs) I'm currently on a mission to beat Aaron in tennis, which involves weekly tennis lessons and training. I had one last night at nine till ten because I'm determined I'm going to beat him. I mean, we, we love our holidays. We, we, love gar- we love our garden. Tennis is our thing that we do physically together in that sense, out, outside of the house. Um, uh, <laughs> um, see, talk before you think, Aaron, or think before you talk. But as with any relationship, it's not all been sunshine and rainbows and flirty games of um, tennis. Children didn't work for us, which is fine, but I think there's something there that has made us stronger and even closer as a couple. We never fretted over it, did you? I mean, Rachel never, you know, we never, I mean, it's not like we went down IVF and all those. If it was going to happen, it happened, but it just didn't happen. So what is it then that makes them work so well as a two? From my perspective, I think it's because Aaron's very open and I think he's very supportive of what I want to do. And I think we're both very independent and we're both very strong-minded, but I think we do actually listen to each other. So I think we always end up coming to good decisions because we've sort of not battled it out, but we have strong discussions, should I say, about things. So I think I think neither of, neither of us feels stifled. So I think we allow each other to grow. And I think that's what we have done. And I think, I think that's why I'm so happy because, I mean, it is lovely to talk about how all this happened, but actually I much prefer now, like the real life sort of older version, slightly more tired. It just feels so much more real and loving and kind and compassionate. Because in, in many ways we are different, but Rachel balances me like no other. So I'm always, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm la- sometimes obnoxiously loud and I can't help that. It's natural, but I can't help it. Um, um, love lots of people around and will talk to anybody. And Rachel's not like that at all. And she's much more of a thinker than I am. I just, you know, as I said, open my mouth before I think sometimes. (laughs) It's not always that great. It's not always a good thing. Um, So Rachel just balances me. Rachel and Aaron clearly have fun retelling their love story. But they're also keen not to paint some sort of cheesy picture that they're these star-crossed lovers who couldn't live without each other. They got lucky that day on the tube. There's no doubt about it. But they've been less lucky in other ways. Our story is beautiful, but what I don't want to, to do is come across as like this smug couple that have it like all worked out because because we don't. I have this morbid side of me, but I always think, you know, what happens if something happened to, to one of us or we split up? Like I have no desire to sort of just be in a relationship. So I think I'm really conscious that what we have is very special. 
but I think it works because neither of us actually need to be in a relationship we want to be in a relationship with each other but it doesn't define us I don't think like Aaron's an added bonus in my life but I don't think I need to be defined by Aaron and hopefully Aaron doesn't need to be defined by me so I think I would hate to be sitting here giving that advice because I just feel absolutely lucky in the same way that you know I was absolutely unlucky having children and that's just life like I've lucked out on another side so I would hate to give advice because I it's it it's almost magical I do think the fact that we didn't have children and couldn't have children has um you know Rachel's my best friend my bestest ever 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 friend um and I think that's just made us stronger and closer it's just you and me it's just Aaron and Rach And that's it from this episode of London Love Stories from the Evening Standard. If you've got a love or dating story in the capital, then please get in touch. See you next time.